0: morning, church. Good morning. Those of you that are here, you actually heard the video. I understand that the people at home did not hear the video. Uh, it was a welcome video, so welcome. Welcome if you're online. Uh, also, and there was the announcement that a couple weeks ago, uh, our ACs went down in the worship center. It was really, really hot in here, and we put out a call to the members of the church that, hey, we need help fixing this, and within two weeks, we raised over $10,000 of the 14 to fix the ACs. You can clap for that. That's good news. Especially if you're in here, that's good news. Some people walked in like, "Whoa, it's cold in here!" You're like, "Yes, yes, the ACs work." So, uh, thank you, church family, and thank you for all of that um, work. Of course, there's there's the administrators in the church are like, "There's still two that are broken." Yeah, that's right, that's right. There still is, but we have cold air today, and so we are thankful for that and grateful to God uh, for that and for the hard work that. Um, just your generosity and the hard work the men put in installing them. So thank you, uh, church, for that. Um, but as I said, well, my name is Kendrick, and we're going to continue our study on prayer this week. Uh, we first started this several weeks ago when we were looking at the Gospel of Luke, and we were talking about individual prayer. And, and we looked at Jesus' teaching on it, we looked at Jesus' example. And then a couple weeks ago, we kind of switched and we went to Acts and we looked at prayers of the church body when the church comes together and prays. And that is my heart for Calvary is that we would be known as a praying church. That we would be a church that just seeks God's heart and seeks his will. That we would be a praying church. Guess what you can do? You can be a part of a praying church. You can take a connection card we have here. Or you can take one of the digital online connection cards. And we have a spot for prayers. And if we could pray for you in any way, go ahead and fill that out. If you're in here in person, you could drop these in the box. If you're online, you could fill out the connection card and say, hey, I need the church to be praying for me in this aspect. And we will send those out. Unless you mark them confidential, we will send those out to our prayer team. And some of you right now are sitting here going, we have a prayer team? Yeah, we have a prayer team. And you could be a part of that prayer team. So you can grab one of those connection cards, again, the digital one or the hard copy one, and put, I want to be on the prayer team. And we will include you in on our church's prayer team. So um, I want to let you do that. But while you're there, actually, while you're there, there's a comment section on there. And next week, we're going to go back to the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at parables that Jesus taught. I'm just curious what your favorite parable is. Or if there's a parable you'd like for us to teach on, or what's your favorite one in Luke? There's a whole bunch in there, and we were kind of going through some of those. But if you say, man, I'd love to hear this, or this is my favorite, we're kind of taking a survey. On your connection card, you could just put uh, that parable in there, and we will look at that uh, this next week as we prepare that, um, that series. is coming up again, we're going to be looking at the parables that Jesus taught in the book of Luke. And I'd love to know what your favorite one is. That was a shameless plug for a series we're going to be starting next week. But now, we're going to get back to the book of Acts. And as we started looking at the early church, we started looking at the example of the prayers of the early church. We learned a few things. First, we learned how a bold church prays. And in last week, we looked at how churches advancing the gospel, gospel-minded churches. We looked at some of the things and how they pray, and how they pray for God's help, and they pray for God's intercession as they take the gospel to the nations. Today, we're going to look at one of my Favorite topics of prayer, missions. We're going to be looking at missions and how prayer impacts missions. And I'm not just talking about evangelism and taking the gospel to the unknown parts of the world. I'm talking about making disciples of all the nations to where we talk to them and pray with them. And, and God grabs hearts and changes them. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be looking specifically at how a small church can impact the world for God's glory through just prayer. Through just prayer prayer, and we will be looking at that, and we're going to be diving into that, and today we're going to be looking at the small church uh, in Antioch, so if you go ahead, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, and this is a small little church in the northern part of Syria, and it actually became known as the center hub for missions during the first century. It was Antioch Church. Some people think it was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, all the people left because of persecution, and they were scared, In Antioch, they were strategic, and they sent people out to take the gospel to the world, Small, small church. It's not extremely wealthy. It wasn't a mega church. It wasn't a multi-site church. They didn't have the latest mission programming from the International Mission Board. But it did have its share of drama for a church. Even in the first century, we see that in the Antioch, a local pastor, we know him as Paul, he accused a big C pastor, we know him as Peter, of hypocrisy. We see that drama play out in the church. We also see in the church that God was using the church of Antioch to reach thousands of people. And we see the old school churches, only one of them, it's in Jerusalem. And they're like, we don't even know if they're making real Christians. Go send people up there to see if they're Christians. Even in the early days, old school churches were critical of young churches that God was using. But even with all this junk in the church in Antioch, it was a gospel-advancing, mission-minded church, and it became a model For sending churches and sending organizations for taking the Gospels and making disciples to the ends of the earth. Today I want to look at a few things that we can learn as a, a small church our own self. A church our size, how we could focus on Gospel advancement. I want to look at our prayer and our ability to join God and unite with God in His mission of making disciples in all the nations. Just like that little church in Antioch. So let's just go ahead and, and begin. We're going to jump right in here. We're going to look at verse 1. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 13. And it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers. We're going to stop right there. Just on those few words, there have been books written on what prophets and teachers are and all these rules of what they do and do not do. We're not going to focus on this. All I'm going to tell you is today we call those people probably like, pastors and elders of churches the prophets helped lay the foundation for the church as they proclaimed the word of God and the teachers helped uh, the the converts the new people understand the doctrines of God so these were the leaders of the church and then as we go forward uh, Dr. Luke he lists who these leaders of the church were the first person that he lists is Barnabas and this is what we know about Barnabas that he was a Jew he was a Levite he was from the island of Cyprus we see him many times in the, the book of Acts. The disciples knew him as the encourager. That's actually what Barnabas means. He was the encourager. This is the one everybody liked. right? But the most known thing that he probably did, that we know him for, is he was the one that convinced the other disciples that Saul, later Paul's, conversion was genuine. Barnabas is the one that went to the disciples and said, hey, this guy's the real deal. We can trust him. He's been converted. He's preaching the word of God. So that's Barnabas. He's one of the leaders in this church. The next person we see is uh, Simeon, who was called Niger. And it's believed due to his nickname Niger, uh, which means black, that he was from Africa. We don't know that for sure, but that is an assumption that is made. Some even suggest that it was a very, very dark black like we would see in the southern Nubian region which today would be present-day Sudan. So they think maybe this is where he was from. And if you look up uh, on the screen, it's hard to see the star. I don't know if you guys can see the star, but that's the church of Antioch. B is Cyprus. That's where uh, Barnabas is from. And then you look south as S. That's the assumption of where Simeon is from. And then we move on to the next leader, uh, Menian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. The word translated here for lifelong friend is actually a foster brother. So this is somebody who grew up with King Herod. Uh, they, they think that this guy was educated along with King Herod, that he was in Rome. And when you see the M, uh, that's where he grew up. That's where his life view was formed. And, and he was in the household of King Herod. He grew up with him. They were friends. Somebody shared the gospel with him. He became a believer. And now we see him as a leader in the church of Antioch. I skipped somebody. I skipped Lucius, yep, Lucius, I'm sorry, of Cyrene. We know that he is from North Africa because Cyrene is in present-day Libya. That's where the L is underneath uh, the S. We don't know anything else about him except where he's from. That's all we see him in scriptures. And then the last person we see is Saul. Saul is a newly converted Jewish Pharisee who'd later become known as Paul. Um, He was used by the Holy Spirit to write many of the letters in the New Testament. And we know that he was from Tarsus or present-day Turkey. This is a really, really diverse group of leaders. As we just look at this, they're racially, politically, socially diverse. They don't have a lot of any things in common. But as we'll soon see, this church was united in spirit And it displays a remarkable degree of purpose and sense of unity in what it was doing. It is no wonder that the church at Antioch has been identified as one of the greatest missional churches of all time. If we just look at that, look at where those leaders came from. This is the known world. They are spread out across that area. And these are the leaders of the church. This is a perfect profile for a mission-minded church. They were a microcosm of what the church will become, if not here on earth, surely in heaven. Unfortunately, Sunday mornings appear to be one of the most segregated times in the United States. Sunday mornings between 11 and 12. Fifty-eight years ago, Reverend Martin Luther King called Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. to noon, the most segregated hour of the week. But I am grateful that in California, especially in Southern California, that we have the advantage of experiencing a little piece of heaven right here when we come to church. In this church family alone, I'm just talking about Calvary Church West Hills. We have people from the Philippines. We have people from Russia. We have people from England. We have people from Mexico. We have people from Iran. All part of our local congregation that comes together and worships God on a weekly basis. And I love it. I love coming to church and worshiping with everybody from literally all over the world. That is a little taste of what heaven will be like one day. But I don't think that the church at Antioch or this church here in West Hills is an accident, but I think it is the deliberate work of God. An example and a picture of what will come, what will be when we are worshiping together, singing holy, holy, holy one day. But as we look at the church of Antioch, we see that it begins with prayer. Their entire time is drenched in prayer from beginning to end, as should our story be. So let's continue. As we look at this, let's look at verse 2. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And let's just stop there for a minute. The Antioch church is a model for us in the sense that they sought the Lord together. We look at this passage, and they is not referring to the leaders. It is referring to the church body, the congregation, the local church. They were worshiping. And when we look at that word worshiping, some some translations say it was ministering, but it literally means serving at one's own cost. So they are exalting God above themselves. And this time of worshiping and fasting is a time that the church set aside themselves, They set aside their fleshly desires, what they wanted to do in order to pursue God in prayer. This was an act of worship. Prayer was an act of worship. They set aside food to concentrate on God, on seeking God's heart, and actively seeking, and listen to this, and listening. They were listening for their response in prayer. They wanted to hear from God, and fasting was not a New discipline. It wasn't something that the church in Antioch made up. Several times in the Bible, there's times of fasting. And every single time it's used, it's connected with earnest prayer. It's connected with somebody seeking God, passionately praying and seeking God. We see David do it when he was being pursued by men that were trying to kill them, that he thought were his friends. He says this, they repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. And David's like, God, I don't know what is going on here. Why are they trying to kill me? Why are they after me? When they were sick, I set my own desires. I set my own needs aside to pursue you to help them. I I fasted for you. I intervened for them at the cost of my suffering. I set aside my desires and pursued God, my own cost for them. He talks about that he afflicted himself with fasting. We also see that when God was about to judge Babylon, Daniel, he was a captive at that time, and he prayed passionately for God to protect his people and to restore them to their land. Daniel prayed for God's mercy with fasting and sackcloth as ashes as a time of mourning. And when Nehemiah learned that the destruction that was done to Jerusalem, Scripture says that he sat down and wept and mourned for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. His heart was broken. He was in sorrow. He was seeking God in his heart. He set aside the desires of his flesh to seek the mercy and grace of God. Whenever we see fasting, we see that it is always tied to prayer. And it's indicating that a person is willing to set aside the normal demands of life in order to concentrate for a time on seeking God and hearing God's will. That's the purpose of fasting. Do you hear that? The purpose of fasting, seeking God and hearing His will. Too often times the church makes fasting the purpose. That we focus on what we are missing and what we are going to give up. And we're not focusing on God. We're not focusing on God's response to us. We have hours of debate, mostly with ourselves on what we're going to fast from. What type of food? Does dark chocolate count as real chocolate? Is that part of the fast? What are these rules that I'm going to take part of? Is carbonated water, sparkling water, is that just water or is that flavored? And we do all these other things that that actually becomes the focus. Not hearing from God. And you know how I know this? Because I do it. I do it all the time. My wife and I, we might be fasting about something and Melissa will say, hey, we've been fasting. How was your prayer time with God? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm so hungry right now. Like, I know we said we weren't going to eat till dinner. I know it's 2 o'clock. But what if we just call lunch dinner? Like, do we meet the rules? Is that okay? And if you spend more time focusing on what is cheating and what isn't cheating while you're fasting, you're probably missing the entire point of fasting. Here's it. This is the secret to fasting. The secret to fasting. Actively listening for God. When we are fasting, that's what we're doing. There's, uh, there's rules, blah, 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 blah. If you're not listening to God, you're defeating the whole purpose. So the, the secret to fasting is to actively be listening for God. And when I have fasted, when I've been intentionally seeking the heart of God, my time without, without whatever that is, without electronics or without food, it all becomes irrelevant as I wait upon the Lord. As I truly seek the Lord, I find out that it is only the Lord that satisfies It is him that satisfies our desire, and it's his word and his will, and it makes all the other stuff irrelevant. God is the focus of our fasting, not the time we go without food or TV or the time we go without our phone, but when we are fasting, we are passionately praying, we are engaged in worship when we're waiting on the Lord, when we're waiting to hear from him. We're setting ourselves aside to seek him, to seek his heart, to seek his will, to seek his direction in our lives and when we continue this passage let's look what happens when we seek the Lord and we put ourselves aside and we worship him with prayer the Lord will respond and we see in this passage that the Lord responds when we look at the second part of verse two it says that the holy, while they were praying the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them we don't know how the Holy Spirit communicated that message. And there's people that will debate about it. We don't know if it was through one of the prophets that was there. We don't know if it was just a common leaning of the hearts that the people got together and said, this is what he, uh, the Holy Spirit is real to us. We don't know. This is the only thing that we know is that the church was involved in worship and fasting. And at that point, the Holy Spirit directed them, that the Holy Spirit gave them a direction. And the Holy Spirit said, you're going to take two of your leaders and send them out of the church. You're going to take two of your leaders, and they're going to go on mission for me. I want you to notice that the Holy Spirit didn't ask, who do you want to send away on mission? The Holy Spirit didn't say, hey, who are two people that you're not going to miss if they're not here? Right, let's send them. That wasn't an option for the church. The Holy Spirit said, you're going to send two leaders, and they're going to go on mission. And we know, this is the funny part, we know that one of them was the encourager, Barnabas we know that he was known for encouragement we know that everybody liked him as a, a pastor I can tell you if you said hey we're going to send the encourager on a mission trip I'm like no please there's other people you can take leave the encourager here you can take the person that's generous leave the encourager here but God said no 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 we're taking the encourager we're sending him we're also going to take your most gifted teacher and we're going to send him to take the good news of the gospel to the nation so we're going to take your encourager your teacher we're sending him out One of my spiritual mentors says this. Sometimes you know it's the Holy Spirit talking because you would never do it that way. And I think, Amen to that. And so we hear the Holy Spirit says, We're going to take your two leaders and send them. Church of Antioch, they could have, they had a whole bunch of excuses. God, you can't do this. We're a a small church, a young church, a, a struggling church, and you want to take away our two best leaders for mission. Hey, Holy Spirit, what's option number two? And so many times, that's what churches do. We hear from the Holy Spirit, and we're like, no, I don't like that idea. And we look for another option. Not at the church of Antioch. We find that the Antioch church, in its heart for God, was willing to listen to God and to follow God, to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. And we learn from this that prayer leads the church to God's mission. This is God's mission, to make disciples of all the nations. This isn't about to make the church of Antioch. It's not about to make the church at Calvary West Hills into the best church in Syria or in LA or in the world. Our mission is God's mission, to make disciples of all the nations. And as we study scripture, as we look at it, we see that prayer and ministry go together. Too often, churches seek ministry without seeking God. And if we try to work for the Lord, without praying, without seeking God, we end up settling for self-centered service. We end up settling for what do I want to do? What do I think is best? What makes me feel good? What makes me feel like I accomplished ministry? And without prayer, we are less focused on what God wants, and we are more focused on what we want. We are more focused on fulfilling our needs and our desires. But a church that seeks God in prayer and listens for his response, might be surprised at what he tells them. It might not be something we like offhand. It might not be something we're comfortable with. It might be something totally different. It might be something out of the box. You want to step out of the box? Pray to God for direction and then do what he says. He rarely works in confined spaces. The message here was clear. You are to set apart your leaders and then send them out to accomplish my mission not your mission, to send them out on my mission. And church, don't miss this, that when we pray and we wait upon the Lord, he will answer. He will provide direction. And usually when we pray, here's the problem, is it's a lot of talking and not a whole lot of listening. Right? We go to God and we talk, 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 and we want to tell him all of our needs, and we need to tell him everything that he needs to do to make us happy, and this is how we would do it. And then when we run out of things to say, we say amen and we walk away. But church, we need to stop and to listen. And this is a, a problem. Right? When there is silence, we begin to feel uncomfortable. We begin to feel like, Am I, is somebody waiting for me to pray? Is there something going on here? And this is super, super common for the American church. Really, really common. Americans don't like to wait, and f- they feel extremely uncomfortable with silence. Remember we were doing some training, and there was a foreign airport customs agent was asked, how do you find out if somebody is smuggling drugs into your country? And he said, well, that's easy for Americans. You just put them into a room you don't say anything and just look at them and in a few seconds, they'll tell you everything you want to know. Right, just be quiet. We get uncomfortable, we start talking and it's the same way in our prayer life. Church, if we want to know God's plan for his mission, we have to stop talking and we have to become comfortable listening. We have to become comfortable sitting in silence. We have to become Comfortable listening when we pray. The church in Antioch had so much to do. Literally the entire world was waiting for them to bring the gospel to them. In churches today all across the United States, we have conferences and we have maps. I think we have one up here. We have maps and we have all these little dots where there's no churches and there's places that we can go and reach people. The church of Antioch, they had a church in Jerusalem. The rest of the world was wide open. Right? They had things to do everywhere in the world except for your church, and the church in Jerusalem doesn't have a church. And you need to go and make churches. They, they actually had an excuse not to be just sitting around waiting to do nothing. They had a lot of work to do. They had so much to do, and yet... We see them in scripture, seeking the Lord and waiting upon the Lord with prayer and fasting. And when we as God's people, we should seek the Lord and we should wait upon the Lord and we should listen for his direction rather than calculate what we think we can do on our own strength. Right? Calculate what we think we could do our best if we do this. Here's the honest truth. Church, I love you to death, but sometimes your best just ain't good enough. Sometimes your best is just not good enough. Churches need to be strategic, but they need to be guided by the Spirit. They need to be guided by His strategy. The Spirit needs to be the foundation for leading the church to accomplish God's mission the way that God wants to. And too many churches today are not guided by the Spirit because they don't want to wait on the Lord. They want to do it their way right now. And in the days of Amazon Prime and Instant, anything you want, waiting upon the Lord has become a lost spiritual discipline. And church, it doesn't take a whole lot to see to look at churches in the world and see that we are failing at the mission of God. But after waiting on the Lord, and once the church in Antioch heard the Spirit, it says that they again fasted and prayed, just as they had done prior to the Spirit's word. When we look at the beginning of verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. One might think that since God had directed them, that is all that needs to be done. They're ready to be sent off, but that's not true. We see that prayer energizes us for service, and fasting and prayer were needed to prepare the entire church for mission. Prayer unites the church for mission. Prayer is not an escape from our responsibilities, it's actually a response to God's ability and when God gives us direction and says, this is the mission, we pray because we are dependent upon God. It further strengthens our dependence upon the Lord. But we see that it does so much more. In this passage, we see that this is not just some type of sending prayer. Something else is happening here. The church is being forged together. They're becoming one with their missionaries. We see that they laid hands, and this is a symbolic public declaration and it's through prayer this is a praying procedure that the church is partnering with them on their mission and we see this laying on of hands and when the church lays hands or its leaders lay hands on somebody whether it's to be a minister of the gospel whether it's to be a public safety chaplain whether it's to be a missionary to a foreign land we see that the laying hands on somebody is a prayer service and when the church is laying hands on somebody this is what they're doing they're doing three things They're confirming their mission. They're saying that the mission that you are going out on, that is of God, and as a body, before the body, we are confirming your mission. We also see that when they are laying their hands on them, they're identifying with their mission. This is the mission of God. This is what we're doing. We're going out to make disciples of all the nations, and again, as a body and before the body, the church and church leaders lay their hands on them. And the third thing that we see that it does is that it unites them together in God's mission as a body but for the body as a body we come and lay hands and we pray but it's for the entire body the growing body that we are unified in mission together we are together with you that's what we're saying we're like hey we are together with you and it's not just that we're going to pray for you but we are going to pray with you You are a part of the body. You are a part of us. We are going to pray for you as one body. We see that the missionary, the one that we often say is the one being sent out, he's an extension of the local church. That missionary that we're sending out, he or she or the family or the group or the partner, whatever that unit is, they are an extension of the local church that is sending them out. The church itself is one body and it extends its arms and its hands and its heart through those missionaries that it prays with and through those missionaries that it supports. And this is a spiritual truth. Unfortunately, though, it's not often understood by the local body, by the the church. See, when we look at this passage, we see that Barnabas and Saul, they were extensions of the church at Antioch. When they went somewhere, it was people from the church of Antioch are coming and sharing with us. It was as if the entire Antioch church was going with them. And this is not often not possible it's not practical in most senses not everyone is gifted for such demanding physical emotional and spiritual rigors of life or of missions in some of these areas but through those two the praying church walked with them joined them in mission with God to make disciples of all the nations that was their mission that is what they did and when a church understands why it lives it can make such a difference And by the grace of God, will do more than they could ever think of or imagine. See, church, when we look at this, we know that God has a worldwide plan. And he has commanded his church to carry out his plan. Something much greater is happening when we look at God's mission, and it requires all of our efforts. The gospel has gone nearly to every place in the world today but there is still so much more that have never heard the good news of Jesus. There is so much more work that needs to be done. And we need to be a church that is greatly motivated by Christ's command. That we are motivated by the mission of God to make disciples of all the nations. Church, God's mission needs to be our mission. Like when we are a part of the church and Christ is our head, His mission has to be our priority. His mission has to be our focus, that we make disciples of all the nations. And the Antioch Church remains to be a model for us. We can still go to Scripture. We could look at this. And it's because they did not rely on man's wisdom or on man's strength, but on the Spirit of God for their strategy, for their plans, for their dependence to accomplish His mission. And because they did that, it's reproducible. Right? Because they depended on God, everything that they did is reproducible. And us as a church, whether we have all the leaders from all the different worlds, whether we speak 20, 30, 40 different languages, it doesn't matter. If we depend on the Spirit of God, we can accomplish His mission. Perhaps not in the, the same way with those exact leaders or the same diversity that they had, but in a very general way, we can pray. We can pray and we can see God is building us up for the further expansion of His kingdom. And we do this by making disciples in our own communities. This is where we start. We start by making disciples in our own communities. Like the church in Antioch, the diversity here at Calvary Church West Hills is no accident, but it is the deliberate work of God. In just this local church, this church here on the, it's not a suburb, but the outskirts of LA, these churches, we have so many communities that we are directly attached to. And what I mean by that, the communities that we are directly attached to, I mean you have a family member there, you have somebody in your family, or you have a friend that you can call that will actually pick up the phone, even if they see the caller ID. They're like, oh, this person's calling. I want to talk to them. And in just this little church, if you look up on this map, those are all places that we have a direct relationship to. Those are all places that are part of our community. Those are only the places I know about. Even when I was doing this map, somebody else saw me and said, oh, I know somebody here, or oh, my family's from here. I didn't know that. So these are just the places, and I just want you to look at Calvary Church. We can literally touch everywhere except for Antarctica and Australia. But I did see somebody online, watch this in Australia. If you're there, let us know. (laughs) Antarctica, I'm still waiting. If you go to Antarctica, let me know. But just this church, I we just look around. A church of 120, 130 people can literally touch the entire world. Church, we can make disciples of all the nations just by making disciples in our communities, just by making disciples in the small group of friends that we talk with, that we do life with, that we spend time with. And just like the church in Antioch, do you know where the first place that they went to? When Paul and Barnabas, they got commissioned, they got hands laid on, do you know the first place they went to? Cyprus. They went to Barnabas' hometown. right? They went to his community, places where he knew people, places where he knew the culture, places in his community, the first place they went to start making disciples of the entire community world was cyprus their hometown church we say that the best way to be on missions with god is to pray give and go and we have a mission board and that's their saying that pray give and go and church we know we've already talked about it's not practical or possible for all everybody here to go to the ends of the earth but you can go to your community Right? You're with your community every day. You're living with them. You're having meals with them. You're talking with them. You're doing life with them. Why not just start in our community? How are you taking the gospel to your community? Sometimes we think, man, I don't know how to get the Papua New Guinea. You don't have to get the Papua New Guinea. You just have to go to work. Right? You just have to actually be nice to some of your family members. That's how we start sharing the gospel we talk about giving in the church, I know we are a generous church, and there are so many people in this church, in this body, that give regularly to missionaries that they are family friends with, that they support, that may be part of their family. All over the world, we have people in here that generously give to missions work. I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Like, keep giving. But I also want you to know that God's mission is actually a pretty big deal when God says, this is my mission, and this is what I want our churches to do. So that is something that as a church, as Calvary Church, we budget for. We say the first 10% of every dollar that comes in, we send out to missions. To missions throughout California and to missions throughout the world. That is a priority for us. We take the first and we give it out. Every dollar that Calvary Church receives, at least 10% of it goes to missions. To make disciples of all the nations. But church, man, pray is the first thing. Right? Prayer is the very first thing. It all begins with pray it's pray give go it's not go give pray it's not uh give go pray it's not that it's pray give go it begins right God's mission can be our mission it all begins with prayer he has equipped us and he has equipped the church for mission but like Antioch it needs to start and end in prayer and if we are a praying church sometimes we just have to pause for a minute And not just pray, but listen. Sometimes we just have to stop for a minute. Man, I'm a pastor, and you're telling me to shut up and listen. That's hard. But we need to stop and listen. I already said God, God's mission has to be our mission. When we look around, I say He's already equipped us. He's He's equipped us individually, He's equipped us as a church for His mission. But are we praying? Are we seeking his heart? Are we listening to his will?